The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. It is game day on this Thursday, and the show is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Use my name, Kevin Sheehan. They'll take good care of you. More on their current fall offer coming up at the end of this segment. Tommy, speaking of fall, uh, it is going to feel like fall this weekend. First legitimate fall weekend. There's a cold front coming through on Saturday with some showers that'll drop the temperatures from where they've been. It's been warm all week long into the low 40s in town or in close. For you, you might be in the upper 30s on Saturday night. How about that? Wow. Do you like this time I'm of year? I'm ready for that. I like the fall. Absolutely. It's a great time. Last... Uh... Last Saturday, uh, I like taking uh, day trips during the fall. And last Saturday, we went to Winchester, Virginia for the day. You, did, you mentioned that to me the other day. That was a, f- a fun time, right? Didn't you take a picture yeah, of yourself was. in front of something significant? Patsy Klein's uh, house, Oh, the uh, country western singer. Who else is from Winchester, from Winchester? Oh, I don't know. You know, that's where uh, J- uh, Jacoby lives. I think Jake lives in Winchester, doesn't he? Really? Um, or maybe he just coached there in Winchester for a while. I, I can't remember. Actually, I, I'm going to tell you something real quickly. I am, and I'm going to run this at some point soon. I don't know when. Uh, it'll be on a day that's a little bit lighter in content. But I interviewed Gary Myers yesterday. You know who Gary Myers is? Yes, I do. Longtime football writer from New York. Correct. He's got a book out uh, on the 86 Giants. Remember, that was the team that beat Washington three times in the regular season, including in the NFC Championship game, uh, to get to their first Super Bowl, which they pummeled Denver in, uh, in Pasadena. And, I, you know, he's a Hall of Fame football voter as well. Uh, when I play this, I think some of you are going to really enjoy it. Some of it is more about the 86 Giants and what happened to that team after they won the Super Bowl and some of the ailments and some of the financial struggle, struggles. And by the way, the incredible generosity of Bill Parcells with, with that team, which is still close-knit today. Um, but 
I took the opportunity to ask him a couple of things, including, you know, why isn't Joe Jacoby in the Hall of Fame? And he revealed to me that he was the one that presented Jake this year for the senior committee. Typically, the way he explained it, they usually get players that are in the area that they're in. So he gets a Jet or a Giant. Like recently, he had Joe Klecko. And then if there aren't any players in the mix, then they'll give him a couple of players to choose from, players that maybe they covered a little bit more than other players. And because he was you know, a big part of covering the NFC East during the 80s and 90s, not only in New York, but with the Dallas Morning News, where he wrote uh, for many years, he said, I want to do Jacoby. And so he made the Jacoby presentation, and he talked about that, and I asked him, you know, what the big parts of the pitch were, and, you know, he shared that with me, and he said, you know, Randy White and Howie Long, and he said Rigo was incredibly passionate about Jake, and, you know, he talked about, you know, some of the, you know, big games that he played in, the Super Bowls that he played in, and the the lack of, you know, any time, any type of real sacks against him, and how he was, you know, one of the best in his generation, and he was crushed that Jake didn't get in. He said, you know, there's just, every year, there's just so many of these guys, but, um, you know, he hopes to make the pitch for Jake again next year. Uh, But, you know, when I play this, you guys will hear a lot about that. I also asked him, I said, all right, you get one coach, you're starting a franchise, Gibbs or Parcells. That's a tough call, you know, Gibbs or Parcells. We would all take Gibbs, but, you know, Parcells had a winning record head-to-head against Joe. I would go with Gibbs. I would would go with Gibbs because, again, I would go with Gibbs because he left the NFL – went to NASCAR, and did the same thing there. I think that, okay? yeah. So his talent is transferable, not just in his business, but in a whole different business. I agree, but maybe Parcells, had he pursued other things, would have been really good as well, because Myers said, he said, look, the, the, you, you've asked me you know, to pick from two of my favorites, and it's, all, it's impossible. Now, um... Eventually, he did take Parcells, which I thought he might, but he said it's so hard. He yeah. said, but he said Bill was one of the best CEO coaches ever. He said Gibbs was a brilliant X's and O's coach on offense. And, and I said, yeah, and he won with three different starting quarterbacks. And, you know, we all understand the, the differences. And, um, and I said, and I mentioned, and I said, not only that, look at what Joe went on to accomplish. I mean, you know, CEO uh, type or not, because Joe was much more of an offensive head coach. He let Richie run the defense. I mean, I guess you could say that CEO delegating ability, but yeah. Joe, Joe, well, didn't... I'm sure he, he wouldn't let Jim Zorn run the defense. <laughs> In other words, Poor offense. he let Richie run the defense because Richie was good at running the defense. Richie was good at uh, – he was really good at running the defense. Um, but it's it's interesting, you know, with the Giants and then with the Cowboys, Parcells has a winning record 14-9 and against Joe and then had the one NFC championship playoff game. That was it. The Giants and Redskins have only met once in the postseason – at least in my lifetime, 
in, in your know, lifetime. Trust me. In the earlier days, uh, in the uh, when the Redskins when they first became the Redskins in '37, they played. I think they played the Giants often in in the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think they played some sort of game against the Giants way back when, where there was like a. It was before they played the Bears in one of the championship games. In the, chi- in the title game in 37, yeah. Because so many Washington fans made the trip up to New York to see them play. It was, like, legendary. All the Washington fans that made the trip up to New York. They only played the Giants once in a playoff game. It was a division tie-breaking game in 1943, so you were off on the year. They beat the Giants 28-0, and then they lost to the Bears that year in the championship 41-21. That was the year after they beat the Bears in the championship game 14-6, which was two years after the Bears beat them 73-0, which was three years after they beat the Bears 28-21. Yes, what? You can read all this in my column today in the Washington Times where I talk about there was a time I mean, there's no juice for this game, tonight's game against the Bears. But there was a time where Washington-Chicago was as heated a rivalry as you could imagine in the NFL. Yeah, uh, but you got to go back almost 100 years for that. I'm sure your column's great. Don't be a child about history. (laughs) You know I love history. I know you. I love history. And I will read the column. I will. And I'll retweet the column. But it's not a rivalry that more than like 5% of our audience would have ever suggested was a rivalry. And once you said... But that that was the point of writing the column. Okay. It's an education. It is. There was a time where where the Redskins-Bears was much bigger than Redskins-Cowboys. You had the two owners fist fight each other on the field in the middle of a of, of team brawl. Really? Hall- Hallis, it, it, they, they went after each other? Hallis and Marshall. Wow. Oh, my God. You see, you, 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 you read the column, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read the column. I'm going to read the column. Read Se- the column. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, oh, and you stop. got a lot going on. I, I'm going to read but, the column. You know, you're, you're just, I love reading you your just columns. Say stuff. You just say stuff, and, <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're talking about there. They, I do know that they played in they played in the championship game I just said in 37 in 40 which yeah. was 73 to nothing. That's the famous one. Yeah. In 42 right. and then they played again in 43. So they yeah. played four NFL championship games against each other and Washington won two of them and Chicago won two of them. Am I right about that? Yes, and uh, and in '43, for some reason, right around halftime, before halftime, George Marshall went down on the field and sat on the Bears bench. What was and it? they had the cops remove him, and they took him to a seat, and they played at Wrigley Field, which was behind home plate, uh, where he sat. And then Hallis had a couple of cops go down to uh, to where he was seated and ask him if he had a ticket. And if he had a ticket, he had to get out of that seat, too. Mm. Hey, that's the kind of stuff that went on back then. That That's that's awesome so, stuff. So yeah. when, when, when Clint Merchinson 
and Edward Bennett Williams are fist fighting in the middle of RFK, then you can come talk to me about Redskins Cowboys. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, George Allen offered to fight Tex Schramm and yes, Tom did. Landry at midfield. <laughs> yes, he um, did. Do you know um, the first? The first season that I really remember is the 1971 season, which was George Allen's first season in Washington. And they started off that year 5-0 and and then lost a game with Charlie Taylor breaking his leg at, at, at uh, Municipal Stadium in, in Kansas City. They lost a very close game against those great, you know, Hank Stram, you know, Len Dawson, Otis Taylor, Kansas City Chiefs teams. But they played the Bears that year. And they lost the game 16-15, to Tommy, when they muffed a snap on an extra point. Now, remember, there was no two-point conversion back then. And Dick Butkus caught the extra point in the end zone to win the game 16-15. to Bobby yeah. Douglas, one of the first true scrambling quarterbacks of the NFL. I think he was. I don't know. That, that's what I remember. You can correct me if I'm wrong if there was somebody in 37 that was running around scrambling. But Douglas was the holder, and he threw the extra point, one-point extra point, to Butkus for a 16-15 to win. At Soldier Field. You know, you see that, that video. That video pops up on on uh, social media all the time. The butt kiss play? Yeah, it hmm. does. Interesting. You know, It shows up there all the time. Now, tonight's game, yeah, I don't think it's going to wind up in, in, in history books as a legendary contest between these two teams. You know, when you think about, okay, can we just, I acknowledge, big rivalry, in the NFL's early days, there wasn't a bigger rivalry, right? Not a bigger rivalry than Bears-Redskins right. in the early days of the NFL. But um, Washington and Chicago, you know, went head-to-head in the postseason three times in the 80s. You know, Washington had this thing with Chicago going in the postseason. Both of those teams were basically in the playoffs every year. And the game in which Chicago pretty much announced, hey, you're going to have to deal with us for the next few years, was the playoff game following the 84 season at RFK against the Bears. Washington was a heavily favored team. I'm looking it up right now. I'm going to bet that they were every bit of a 7-8 point favorite um, in that game. And it was the year before the 85 Bears, okay? The 85 Bears, but this was the announcement that, look out, this is a team that you're going to have to deal with. Washington, by the way, had won the NFC East on the final game of the regular season, beating the Cardinals, beating the Cardinals in a close game where Mosley made a game-winning field goal. That was the Neil Lomax, uh, Roy Green uh, Cardinals. So then they have Chicago in town. I'm looking up to see what the point spread was. The St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, They beat the St. Louis Cardinals, correct, to uh, win the division. And then they had the Bears in the divisional round. They were nine-point favorites, okay, on December 30th, 1984. And Washington got beat 23-19 to in a game in which Theismann was sacked seven 
times. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot with some of the sack totals we've seen recently. Daniel Jones on Monday <laughs> night and and uh, and obviously Sam Howell against the Bills. But the the Bears' defense was so good. They were coming. Richard Dent had three sacks in that game. Dan Hampton had two. And Washington really just couldn't do anything uh, offensively against the Chicago defense, and they lost the game 23-19. to 19. Um, There was a fake uh, – uh, there was a, a, a halfback uh, option touchdown pass that Walter Payton had uh, in that game, um, and Chicago went on. The next week, they lost to the 49ers 23 to nothing in the NFC Championship game, but they were really – they were good defensively. Uh, and by the way, Jim McMahon wasn't the quarterback. Uh, Steve Fuller, the Clemson k- uh, kid, was the quarterback. And then the next year, the 85 Bears. But then, you know, Washington got revenge for that playoff game. In 87, they beat the Bears uh, in Chicago 27-13. to The Bears were 14-2, and and they had to start Doug Flutie at quarterback. And then in 88, in Walter Payton's final game, they beat the Bears at Soldier Field 21-17, to um, and that was, uh, you know, that was the 87 season. Uh, the, the 86 season was the season they beat the Bears the first time. And then the 80, um, 86 season, they, lo- they lost in the postseason in 87. Then in the 87 season, the year the Skins won the Super Bowl over Denver, they went to Chicago as a big underdog, and Daryl Green had the big punt return, one of the real iconic plays in franchise history. And there's that iconic shot, by the way, of Walter Payton at the end of that game. They were a big favorite to win that game. Washington won it. They went on to beat Minnesota in the NFC Championship game. But Walter Payton's final game just sitting, you know, in five-degree weather on that heated bench with the, the heat coming up, and he just sat there as, the, as everybody walked off the field. That was it for Payton, and Washington went on to win the Super Bowl. But they had a thing, and they played a lot of big-time regular season games during the 80s into the early 90s with the Bears as well. Um, God, they played a lot. I'm looking at it right now. From 1984 – through Washington's Super Bowl year in 1991. They played the Bears one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times and three times in the postseason over a seven-year period. So uh, it was a big deal, Bears-Washington in the 80s. Not as big as Washington-Dallas. Not as as much tonight. Tonight's not one of those games that's going to capture the nation's imagination, but... Washington is a bit on the rise, maybe. We'll find out. So let's start there. I think this is a huge game for Ron Rivera. And I think it's a huge game for Ron Rivera because the short turnaround Thursday night games, the teams that are prepared, the teams that are able to game plan properly, bounce back off of whatever happened the previous Sunday and play well and win, are typically teams that you say they're well-coached teams. I'm not saying, you know, every well-coached team wins, but these Thursday night games are weird. This is a big spot because the expectation is that they should beat Chicago. And if they don't, then what they've got going on right now, which is the possibility of being an NFC contender this year, when I say NFC contender, playoff contender, to get to the playoffs. Right. And it's a bit of, you know, a continuation of 
hey, look at Washington. Maybe they found their quarterback. They're a bit of a team on the rise if they win this game and they're 3-2 and two, um, versus if they lose it, they will be written off by everybody tonight if they lose this game. I think it's a big game for Ron Rivera, not for his future, but for people to say, good job, they were prepared, they beat a team that you know most people think they should beat. I guess so. I mean, I see it as a must-not-lose game more than a must-win game. And if they were playing somebody who wasn't 0-4, I would say, uh, you know, this would be some kind of judgment on Ron Rivera and how he prepares his teams. But I don't think they're going to need much preparation to beat the Bears. I think I, I just don't. I think the Bears are a hapless loser. Anything could happen in the NFL, uh, but uh, the Bears are a train wreck of a franchise. And I don't see them getting help better on a short week either. Tommy, if they lose this game, who's going to get blamed more than anybody else? That's why. So, but you say if they win the game, the credit is not going to be commensurate to the to the to the blame no. if they lose. I agree. Who's going to get? So blamed? that means it's a must-not-lose game. <laughs> More than a must-win game. Okay, but who's going to get blamed the most if they lose tonight? Oh, it'll be Rivera. Right. So I think it's a big game for him. Does he gonna, is he going to get all the credit if they win? No. And so to, it, to the way you put it, it's it it's really um, it's a can't-win game for Ron Rivera, but it's a definite potential lose game for Ron Rivera. Yes. It's different yes. from the Arizona game. And I think I mentioned this to you the other day in that that was more about keeping everybody's interest because everybody had the excitement of Dan being gone and Arizona was perceived to be bad. This is a game that if they win, they're three and two, they could potentially be in second place in the division come late Sunday night with Dallas playing San Francisco. And they are going to be, you know, talked about a bit as a team that can contend for one of the wild card spots in the NFC. And if Sam plays well again in the win tonight, then it's a bit of a, you know, this team, keep an eye on them. They, they're on the rise a little bit. And people won't say, because people have said this around the league and we've said this in town, they won't say, well, you know, just wait a few weeks. Dan will somehow screw it up. He's not here anymore. Right. Um, no. Now, with that said, you're very confident about tonight, aren't you? Yes, I am. So let's... I mean, I think the Bears are that bad. You know, you talk about the short week. The Bears haven't been able to play well to sustain a full game of playing well with a week to prepare. Right. So the short week, and they're doing the traveling, hurts them as well. So let's get right to your prediction. I'll save mine. Um for uh, the end of this segment. What's your prediction tonight? Well, I like a Washington victory, 35-16. to 16. Terry McLaurin's going to have double-digit catches tonight. 30. For well over 100 yards. 35-16. to 16. I'll tell you what, I did a segment today on radio. Is, is this a should-win game? Does you, do you kind of feel like they should win the game? And overwhelmingly, people think they should win this game. So... 
Let me um, give you a couple of things on this game before I give you my prediction because I actually don't have a really strong feeling one way or the other. I will tell you that the feeling that I have that's strong about this game is that Chicago will cover. Um, but that's just because of the way I think when it comes to betting. Right. The the betting public is very heavily on Washington, and there's been sharp money all week long on Chicago. That line, and I'm checking it at my bookie right now um, to just see what the updated line is. It's six. So Chicago is a six-point underdog. Uh, uh, let me just say up front right now, it's not a smell test pick tonight. It it usually would be, and if this were a Sunday game, 100% it would be. I have tried in recent years to cut back on these Thursday night games that kind of fit the smell test criteria, in part because these Thursday night games are really unpredictable. You just don't know what you're going to get. Now, Vegas seems totally convinced or, you know, every sports book feels totally convinced that it's okay to take a lot of Washington action less than a touchdown. So they're feeling pretty good about, you know, a tight game um, tonight. Uh, And so on that, from that standpoint, I am a bit concerned about the game. I, I'm, I'm, Absolutely convinced of one thing going into this game. Chicago is really bad on defense. They're like Denver bad on defense. Uh, Per the DVOA metric, they're the 31st defensive team in the league right now. Denver's 32nd. So this is a bad defense. It's also a defense that is going to be without potentially three key contributors slash starters tonight. So not only are they a bad defense, they're banged up on defense. So I really think what should happen tonight is that Washington's offense should carve up Chicago's defense. And I'll be disappointed if it doesn't. And I'm going to get to my kind of keys to a win here in a moment. But I, I want to just mention this because I have watched Chicago-Denver. You know, I've watched that game um, start to finish. And I watched Chicago get destroyed by Kansas City kind of live because I bet Chicago in that game. It didn't work out. And we all kind of watched Chicago in that opener, if you recall, against Green Bay because it was the big doubleheader game in week one. But I really focused in on the game they played against Denver. And before I say what I'm going to say, I do understand that Denver is a bad defensive team, too. Like Washington's first five games will include two of the worst defenses in the NFL, the two worst right now, uh, you know, per the DVOA metric. And by the way, Atlanta's and New York's, not very good either defenses. And those are the two opponents that they have upcoming. So before I get to kind of my keys to a win over Chicago, I just want to let everybody know if you haven't paid attention to Chicago, and usually a a significant percentage of the audience isn't paying as much attention to the rest of the league as they are our team. Many of you are, though, and those that, you know, have will know what I'm saying to be true. Chicago is capable offensively. They have good players on offense. They remember the game they played last year, twelve to seven, and it came down to that pass to Darnell Mooney that Benjamin St. Juice did a really good job of breaking up. And if not, you know they would have lost that game. Um, 
But instead, they won. They ended. Washington ended up winning six of its next seven. Uh, you know that that was the start of something, and that was a game that Carson Wentz got hurt. That may have also uh, been helpful in their six wins in seven game stretch. A uh, Chicago, meantime, after that game last year, won on Monday night against the Patriots. They've now lost fourteen in a row since. They lost their last ten games last year, and their first four this year. However, if you watched last week's game specifically. You realize, again, understood, they played Denver. They have good players on offense, especially at at the skill position spots. DJ Moore is a really good receiver. Cole Komet's a solid pass-catching tight end. Darnell Mooney's really, really quick. They've got guys like Vellis uh, Jones and Trevor uh, and Tyler Scott who have great speed. They use them in jet sweeps and reverses. And then there's Justin Fields. Their offensive line isn't great, but they, I think, are going to get Tevin Jenkins back tonight. Their rookie, um, uh, Darnell Wright, who I think Washington wanted to select in the first round, but he went to Chicago um, several spots earlier. He has struggled a little bit, had some key penalties last week. Their offensive line's not great, but they have excellent skill position players. And it comes down, and I didn't mention Khalil Herbert in the backfield. They've got guys like Robert Tanyan, remember, from Green Bay. Mercedes Lewis is on that team. He must be 50 years old. Um, It comes down to Justin Fields. And, you know, there was the big decision Chicago had in the offseason. Do we keep our pick and select Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, or do we, you know, keep Justin Fields and trade the pick? They kept Justin Fields, traded the pick to Carolina, and right now they would have, you know, two the top two picks in the draft. You know, because Carolina's winless and Chicago's winless. And by the way, if they end up having the top two picks in the draft or the top pick in the draft, they should take Caleb Williams and ship Justin Fields out. But, Tommy, Justin Fields is talented. He can throw the football. He can really run. He is really, really capable off schedule. And the game last week was clearly his best game against a bad defense. We're familiar with the bad defense they played. But for two and a half quarters, this guy was on fire. He had a 96% completion percentage, 300 yards, and four touchdown passes in two and a half quarters. They had a 28-7 to lead. He couldn't miss He was making all the right decisions. Receivers were open all over the field. And I was like, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, wow. You know, I I was a Justin Fields believer coming out of Ohio State. And that offseason heading into that draft when there was conversation about Washington might be interested in moving up for a guy, I do believe that they had Justin Fields ranked very high as well. Chicago made the move up. They took Justin Fields. And there's been a lot of conversation about moving on from Justin Fields, you know, and they made the wrong decision. And Chicago's a team in turmoil right now. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Matt Eberflus being fired if they lose tonight. Although I had Courtney Cronin, who covers the team for ESPN.com on the show yesterday, and she said they feel really good after their performance Sunday, even though it was a loss. In fact, there's some similarities with both teams coming into this game. They both played maybe their best games of the year, but both lost by three in close games. Washington to Philadelphia, Chicago to Denver. Big difference, understood. But, man, Justin Fields, 
lines up in the pistol, lines up in the shotgun. He's under center. They run a lot of play action, a lot of bootleg. They run a lot of stuff to get him outside of the pocket where he really is dangerous. They run zone read. He didn't keep it on a lot of them, but he kept it on one or two. They had a designed run in there. They've cut back on a lot of those for him, but he's still a dual threat guy. They're running back Khalil Herbert, and they also have the kid Roshan Johnson from Texas who they drafted. Uh, Herbert had 103 yards on 18 carries. Now, he had 24 on one carry and like 14 or 15 on another, but he's got good vision. He's tough. But, man, they he was just dropping dimes. In the first half of that game, he was 16 of 17 with three touchdown passes and like 232 yards and a half. I, what I'm saying to you is my concern tonight would be that Chicago's much more capable than people think offensively, and that could be their best defense, is staying on the field, converting third downs. You know, Washington defensively, I am nowhere near where most of you are. I think they still have a really good defense. I think they've played two of the best teams in the league in back-to-back weeks. And personally, I don't think they played that poorly against Buffalo. Um, And they were dominant against Arizona in the opener and took the game over against Arizona and won the game. And in Denver, after a slow start, they dominated. Um, Buffalo, that game was lost because of five turnovers and about 300 yards in sack yard, you know, yardage lost. Exaggerating, but you get the point. They didn't lose that game because of their defense. Anybody that says about the Buffalo game, oh, yeah, they gave up 37 points, the defense couldn't stop them, didn't watch the game. They turned it over five times. It was an offensive loss, period. Um, but it didn't play well Sunday in Philadelphia. They got burned. Emmanuel Forbes got burned. Their linebackers struggled. They didn't get home with their pass rush against the best offensive line in the league. And I think the Bears offensively are capable of staying on the field tonight and scoring points. I don't know if it'll happen. Maybe the short turnaround from Sunday to here, maybe they're devastated after that loss. Who knows? I'm just telling you, offensively, they got some dudes. They do. And Justin Fields is a capable and dangerous quarterback if you let him get outside the pocket and extend plays. So with that, let me give you three keys to beating Chicago. Number one is just that. They got to slow down Justin Fields. They got to contain Justin Fields. They can't let him easily on bootlegs get out of the pocket. They should have somebody, you know, on these bootleg looks, you know, creating havoc off of that backside to catch him when he turns to face and and start to roll in that side. They they can't let him on designed, you know, runs get off. They can't let him get off off schedule. If they let him get outside that pocket, that's when problems happen. You've got to stop the run, which I actually think Washington can do. They did it last week against Philadelphia and keep him in the pocket because if he gets outside of it and he starts extending plays like he did multiple times against Denver, you know, I don't know if he's going to go for 332 and four touchdowns again. Okay, I don't know that that'll happen. But they're going to they're going to move the football and they're going to score some points because they're actually a capable offensive team. Um by the way, that game was lost when he fumbled 
off of a bootleg. They blitzed an outside linebacker, Benito, who played well, actually, against Washington in Week 2. And number zero, I think his name's Cooper, picked it up and ran it in. And then on the last drive of the game, he had a really bad intentional grounding penalty that killed him. And then threw an interception when they were driving for the tying uh, field goal that I'm not sure was really his fault. I I don't know how that was um, doled out because uh, Komet seemed to stop. Slow down fields, keep him in the pocket when he throws it. I think they're going to stop the run. Hopefully they will. Number two, offensive game plan from last week. Quick game, screens. Denver screened them a lot last week. Um, with Javante Williams before he got hurt, and then with uh, with the kid McLaughlin, and with Samaje Pirine, who actually has turned into a pretty good player. Um uh, just they can run the football. I would think tonight is a big opportunity for Brian Robinson Jr. to go for a hundred plus, I, if, if that's the way they decide to do it. But they've got lots of options. Quick game will work. You know, uh, getting him out on the edge, sprinting him out. I just don't want to see what we saw against Buffalo. I don't want to see five man protection and dropbacks all day, all night long because Chicago's terrible, but I bet you Chicago sends some pressure and I bet you they get a couple sacks in this game, but Washington should absolutely, when they're on the field, move the football and score points against Chicago. Thirdly, uh, my third, you know, they win if is you can't hand Chicago a, a lesser team and they are a lesser team. You can't hand them like Washington did with Arizona, three first-half turnovers. You can't hand them five turnovers and nine sacks and all of that lost field position because of the sacks. You, last week was so perfect. They didn't turn it over. They played total error-free football. He could have had a turnover in that red zone, that one decision he made, but, he, but it was dropped in the end zone. You play, you play clean football tonight, I think they'll win the game. Um, I think they certainly should move the football when they have the football and hope, hopefully they get a lot of chances with the football, but that's going to be contingent on the defense slowing Chicago down enough, but you can't hand them two turnovers. You can't hand them seven sacks, um, and expect that it's going to be a, you know, an easy win. So slow down fields, keep them contained in the pocket, you know, Offensive game plan from last week, quick game, you know, screens, protection when you do go drop back, and then you just can't self-destruct. You know, they don't need plus one or plus two in the turnover margin category. They don't need that to beat the Bears. But if they're minus two or worse, it could mean trouble. And we've already seen against Arizona and against Buffalo, they are capable of playing poorly offensively, but I don't know if they're capable of that tonight against Chicago's defense, which is lousy. My final score prediction, this is really kind of a combination of how I you know, handicap a game betting-wise, which is total contrarian, and at the same time feeling like they should win the game. I'm going Washington 23, Chicago 20. Mr. Blowout, aren't you outraged by my close call? Well, yeah, I mean, it's I know that you're hedging your bet because that's a smell test bet, isn't it? uh, No, I'm not giving it out in the smell test because it's Thursday night. You're not giving it out as a smell test pick. I'm going to play it. Let me just tell you, I'm going to have Chicago tonight plus the points, and I'm going to root for something like 23-20. 
because I'm, you know, it's it's a l- little bit of the happiness hedge. If they blow them out, I'm happy too. If they don't cover, but I, right. I, I don't let you know this get in the way of of me. Right. Uh, many times I've bet against Washington, and you know, many times I've lost and lost big, and I'm I'm happy that way too. But Chicago is the sharp side tonight plus the points doesn't mean it's going to happen you know the sharp side loses enough trust me um it just doesn't get crushed usually over the course of a season but that's that's mine 23 20 i just don't see the bears defense is so bad and they offer no pressure whatsoever that i think that you know i think that washington's time of possession is just going to be through the roof i just don't think Justin Fields will have the ball in his hand long enough to do much damage. Uh, and he'll be playing from behind. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and they were they played from ahead last week. Um, I don't feel good about any result tonight, meaning like I don't feel super strongly about anything other than I'd be really disappointed if offensively they can't take advantage of a bad defense that's injured. That would be surprising to me. Now, I don't know if I would have said that if the Buffalo game was last week, but the Philadelphia game was impressive. You know, we've now seen in two different games a capability offensively that I didn't think we would see this year necessarily. I didn't think it would be a bad offense. I wasn't sure. I didn't know what to make of it. They certainly have playmakers, and if you design the game plan that they designed last week and call it that way – you know, he can be pretty effective. Um, he certainly was against a, a good defensive team in Philadelphia. So there you go. 35-16, Tommy. I've got 23-20, Washington. Tommy's got 35-16, Washington. I've got 23-20, Washington. Um, heads up, I am planning, if all goes well, to do a quick kind of post-game pod after the game tonight. Uh, and then tomorrow, I'll do a show that'll be out later in the day with Jay Gruden making his weekly appearance, and we'll get his thoughts on the game. Cooley is a possibility for tomorrow's show. But tonight, within, say, 90 minutes of the game ending, maybe a little bit longer, I'll have um, a quick recap that should be available to you late tonight or very, you know, uh, soon after midnight tonight or, you know, when you wake up early tomorrow morning. Uh, by the way, I mentioned my bookie and the point spread. My bookie is doing what they did last week for all of you guys, my audience, Tommy's audience right here on the podcast. They are giving a 110% deposit bonus when you sign up at mybookie.ag and you use my promo code KevinDC. They're more than doubling your money. Now, $50 is the minimum, $1,000 is the max to be eligible for this 110% cash deposit bonus. But if you put in 1000 bucks, they're going to add $1,100 to your account. So you'll have $2,100 in your account. You put 100 bucks in, you're going to have $210 in your account. They're going to give you $110. Nobody does this. And you have to use my promo code because you will not find this offer on their website. They're not giving it to any other audience. This was kind of in celebration of the 2-0 start. They're now 2-2. Two two, but they wanted to keep it going this week. I had a lot of you reach out to me to say, 
say that was really incredible, the best offer you've ever seen, and you signed up last week. If you have a place where you're betting, just take the free money. I mean, take the free money at mybookie.ag, promo code KevinDC. It's a fair spot to gamble with. Uh, I promise you, you're going to get sharp, sharp pricing. You're not going to be taken advantage of on losses. MyBookie.ag, my promo code KevinDC. You've got to do this before the end of the week to get the 110% deposit bonus. All right, when we come back, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, That's what we're doing uh, now on this show. We have brought back, you heard it here first, from the Sports Fix 2.0. There's some baseball to talk about um, and a few other things. We'll get to all of it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show is brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation's got a great deal going on right now. Uh, The fall is here. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, it's going to feel like it this weekend. And Window Nation is offering their best offer of the year, which is buy two, get two free. Buy two windows, get two free. Doesn't matter how many windows you're buying. If you need 12 windows, you're only going to pay for six of them. And you don't have to put any money down. You don't have to make any payments. And you don't have to pay interest for two full years. If your old windows are hard to open, if they're hard to close, if they're 10 years of age or older, if they're drafty, if they're leaky, now's the time to call Window Nation. Take care of it now before the cold weather arrives and you're paying heating bills that are too high. They'll reduce your energy bills by up to 30%. Window Nation has so much experience. They're a top five window retailer in the country. I've been endorsing Window Nation This is my 14th year. I've been a customer. So many of you have. I've got complete trust in these guys. 96% of their installs go off without a hitch. There's no need for follow-up service. They measure each window three times to ensure proper fit. They've got over 10,000 online positive reviews. You can trust Window Nation. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Use my name, Kevin Sheehan and they will give you a free estimate so you've got nothing to lose. 86690Nation, windownation.com, buy two, get two free, no limit, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two 
full years. All right, uh, Tommy and I started last week. Uh, we brought back, you heard it here first, bold predictions for the week. Uh, so let's get to that right now. I've been waiting to hear what the big announcement was going to be. And you got it right here. Heard it here first. All right, Tommy, what's your bold prediction for the week? Do you remember what mine was last week? <laughs> uh, let me think about it. What was your bold prediction last week? Okay. I don't remember. It was that Ron Rivera and Eric Bieniemy would get into an argument and a shoving match on, on the sideline. Oh, right. That didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. No. No. Should have kissed Eric Bieniemy. Thankfully, he should have. He should have. He yeah. absolutely should have at least given him a big hug. Yes. Uh, my full prediction is going to take a while to unfold. Okay. Uh, and, but it's tied to this week and their opponent tonight, the Bears. The Bears' backup quarterback is is uh, what's his name? Tyson Bag- Bagent. <laughs> and, uh, that was close. Do you want to know what the, know. he's the kid from Shepherd College? I mentioned yes. him yesterday yes. on on the radio show. Um, yeah, I mentioned him. Yeah, his his, <clears throat> his name, by the way, is is Tyson uh, Bagent, I think, or Bagent. One of the, uh, I got, I think it's Tyson. Badgent. I think it's Bagent. Okay, Bagent, Tyson Bagent. Yes, he's the backup quarterback to Justin Fields. By the way, that's incredible, right? Yeah. Shepherd College in the NFL is a backup quarterback. Yeah. So what do you got? And what do you was, got on him? He, well, he was the guy who I said that Washington should have signed as a free agent. Uh, I remember you know, that after the draft, right? Six three two twenty broke almost every passing record at, at his division. Uh, and what he did was the Bears signed him as a free agent, long shot kid out of a small college, and they wound up cutting their quarterbacks and promoted this kid to the backup quarterback position. Yeah, and there has been some talk. That if they're frustrated, if they're frustrated with with Justin Fields, and after last week's performance, that frustration has died down. But before last week, there was some talk about letting this kid start for the Bears. So my prediction is next season, Tyson Badgent will be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Agent. That's a good one. That yeah. is a good one. Um, all right. Uh, I've got a big one, and it's a future one. It's not a, a short-term one. Um, I am predicting that the head coach of the Washington Commanders in 2024 is Ben Johnson, the current offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Ben Johnson was a guy that could have been a head coach this last coaching carousel year. Uh, He will be at the top of many lists when this season is over. He chose to go back to Detroit to coach with Dan Campbell because the team's a good team. He's doing a great job with, with Jared Goff. That team's actually a very good team right now, the Lions are. Uh, I do think that Josh Harris will hire a general manager but I just keep thinking about they want to go with, you know, kind of the hot new thing on a general manager front, on a head coach front. Look, Josh Harris is going to be into data, analytics, 
all of that's important to him. It's been important to him in Philly with the 76ers, apparently the same with the Devils in New Jersey. And I am assuming here that Ron Rivera isn't going to do enough and this team isn't going to do enough to warrant him being brought back. I mean, that this could change. I mean, they could have a really good season here. They could run the next three weeks, and we're talking about, man, I mean, you see Josh Harris talking to Ron Rivera, yucking it up. They seem really happy. Maybe he's on the verge of getting an extension. I don't think that's going to happen. I think new owners like to bring in their new groups, and I still think Washington's a 500 team, you know, give or take a game. Uh, but um, I think the general manager will make that higher. I don't have a prediction on who the general manager will be. There are a lot of guys out there that are going to get opportunities. Um, and, you know, you take a guy like uh, uh, Borgonzi uh, out of Kansas City who's been working with Brett Veach. A lot of people think that his time is coming. Uh, the guy that's been working for, for Lynch, uh, Peters in San Francisco, is highly regarded. Now, you know, it's possible that Eric Bieniemy, if the offense ends up being the strength of this football team and Sam Howell's obviously the quarterback, it's possible, I guess, that Eric Bieniemy could be the next head coach. But, yes, but my it's guess, very possible. But my guess here, Tommy, is that they're going new school. You know, Bieniemy may do enough to, to legitimately become a head coach next year. There's a lot of football left. There's a lot of games left here. Let's let the season play out. But he's been impressive. It, last week was impressive. You know, it really was. And so yes. it's possible that he could end up being a head coach somewhere else with Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson and company choosing to go with, you know, kind of the young up-and-coming general manager that is heavy on, you know, analytics and advanced stats, et cetera, and that they hire, you know, the the up-and-coming, you know, super young, um, exciting offensive coordinator as a, as a coach. Because I think, you know, what we are seeing now is sort of a desire. D'Amico Ryan's, you know, I think was the only – was he the only defensive guy hired last year? I forget. But – I, I think Ben Johnson's a guy that will be at the top of everybody's list, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, at 36 years old or whatever he is with another general manager that's sort of outside the box. This guy's paid his dues, too. You know, he's only 36 years old, but he's been, you know, in Miami. He's been in Detroit. He was in, in college before that. My bold prediction, Ben Johnson – Detroit's offensive coordinator is Washington's head coach in 2024 with a new GM. You know, I was thinking as I was looking through the potential GM guys, if it is the guy from Kansas City, maybe Biennemi is the guy that ends up staying. Who knows? But there's my bold prediction, you know, on October 5th, 2023. Um, Did you see uh, this Taylor Swift story about how the NFL had to put out a statement about people who have been kind of annoyed uh, by all of the Taylor Swift attention. Even Travis Kelsey, her boyfriend, her beau, said on his podcast with his brother, it's, a, it's been a little bit over the top. It, they're, they're overdoing it a little bit. Um, did you see this story or not? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I chuckled at it uh, because uh, if you're the NFL, I mean, the NFL, who 
just just sit there and just get rich and rich and richer, then somebody plops this in your lap to make you even more rich. You know? Yeah. I mean, they, you're, one of your players is dating somebody, and this this is this is just adding money to the coffers. This is this is gold for the NFL. I guarantee you that Major League Baseball would love to have one of their players dating Taylor <laughs> yeah. Swift. The right NBA now. and the, uh, the NHL, every every other sport would love this. Yes, yes. I mean, this is this is the the, the, the new eyes it's bringing to the tube are are just like just a marketing marketing gold, and you know it's just like direct mail. You know, you only have to keep maybe a, a small percentage of them. You know, once once the whole Taylor Swift thing is over. Let's say you keep five percent of them. You know that's a huge, that's a big success. You're not going to lose anybody because the NFL is going gaga over Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. No, like I mean, not that this is a direct apples to apples, but I remember during the whole Colin Kaepernick thing saying, you know, I just I can't imagine as much as everybody loves the NFL that something like that would make you essentially deprive yourself of one of the real nice diversions that we all have, which is, you know, football on Sunday. And look, I I will admit, in watching that Kansas City-Chicago game a few weeks ago, in watching the Kansas City Jets Sunday night game, I did say, and I, I was watching the Sunday night game with my wife, I did say, enough already. Like, come on. And to be honest with you, I'm not a Swifty. I'm, I, I get it. I, I know how talented she is. Um, and I know that she wrote this great song and made this. I was watching that performance on SNL like a year ago, the Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, breakup song that she wrote that was like 15 minutes or whatever it was. She's talented. I get it. She's also a little bit annoying to watch, you know, in, in, in her, you know, over-enthusiastic excitement over everything. But she's also, you know, I, I, she dropped an F-bomb in there somewhere along the way. But I, th- I think it's been a little bit of, a, of an annoyance. And it's like, I think at some point during Sunday night's game, I'm like, all right, enough. This is actually a good game now. Enough already. But to your point, okay, this well, – let, let me just back up real quickly just so everybody understands because I didn't read the NFL statement. The NFL changed their Instagram and Twitter bios, you know, to uh, reflect uh, Taylor Swift's, you know, presence in the NFL. Their Instagram bio read, Chiefs are 2-0 and as Swifties. Um, and so yeah. – I don't think people were really pushing back necessarily on their Instagram, but they use that as an opportunity, I'm sure, to address all the people that have had a problem with how much Taylor Swift is being shown during the games. And they they put out a statement that said, quote, we frequently change our bios and profile imagery based on what's happening in and around NFL games, as well as culturally. The Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey news has been a pop culture moment. We've leaned into in real time as it's an intersection of sport and entertainment, and we've seen an incredible amount of positivity around the sport. The vast majority of our content has remained focused on the game, our players, and variety of other initiatives, including our Toy Story Fun Day football altcast, which they did last week with the international game. Um, 
interesting, by the way, that they kind of took that tact in their response because it addresses the Instagram and the Twitter, you know, uh, bio. And they said, oh, we change these all the time. That's really not the complaint. I don't think maybe it is. The complaints I'm sure they're getting is the amount of television coverage while a game is going on of Taylor Swift. But to your point, Tommy, most watched game since the Super Bowl, Chiefs-Jets Sunday night. And listen to these numbers for these uh, demographics, all right? Up 53% teenage girls between 12 and 17 years old. Up 29% females aged 18 to 34. And up 24% females 18 to 49. They're killing it in the female demo. Look, the NFL is the one sport that does incredibly well with women to begin with, but it's still a, a, a you know a smaller portion of the audience than men. But man, yeah, twenty billion dollars—they just probably added a couple more billion in revenue for that next TV contract. Although, you know, if Taylor Swift breaks up with Travis Kelsey or vice versa. At some point, and we don't see her anymore, you know, well, that's just a pop culture moment. But, yeah, wouldn't stop me from watching the games, and I get it while the, why the NFL's taking advantage of it. Are you a Taylor Swift person? You know, I don't think I could, t- I could tell one song if I heard it. Hmm. Okay. Not one. Well, here's... I, I admire what people... I tell you what, when Bill Belichick hands out compliments... You know, how she stood in the rain for three hours and, and, and performed her concert, and Belichick was impressed with how tough she was. That, that says something to me. And, you know, she's going around the country registering voters. Not like she's handed out drugs at her concert. So uh, I'm impressed with some of the stuff she's done, but I couldn't tell you one of her songs. When we get done with this show, and I know you'll do this because you always take my advice on this, just go to YouTube and Google uh, Taylor Swift Saturday Night Live. Um, the song is like All Well or All Too Well or something like that. It's like a 10-minute thing, and it's about her breakup with Jake Gyllenhaal. And the video, Tommy, stars um, what's-her-face from Stranger Things, the redhead from Stranger Things. What's her name? Sa- uh, Sadie Sadie Sink stars her in the video. I actually, I, it's you are, a, it's you a, are so hip, buddy. You I, know everybody and everything, don't I'm, you? I'm you know, not, I, I'm not. I, I would listen to a song for fifteen minutes that would give me reasons why I wouldn't even bother going out with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> not that I broke up with him. I I'm not a and te- the only fifteen minute song I'm ever going to listen to is "End the God of Davida." Okay. <laughs> um. What about um. What about uh, American Pie, Don McLean? That's like a 12-minute song, isn't it? That's not a 12-minute song. That's a six-minute song. It's not? Okay. It's, it's, more yes, than, it it's more than six minutes. Six minutes. More than six minutes. Okay, go ahead. I think, it's, I think it's like, yeah, I thought yeah, it was yeah. like 10 minutes long. No, it's not. Eight minutes and 42 <laughs> seconds. Okay, so we might meet, met in the middle. Eight minutes and 42 seconds. American Pie. Yeah. Don McClain. Do you know what year? That's half 
of the song you want me to listen to. <laughs> That's I'll pass. Tr- that is true. That is true. Uh, the, I'm not a, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan at all. Um, I couldn't name more than like three songs, but I happened to have been watching Saturday Night Live that night because my son said Taylor Swift's on. She's doing this new song, and so I tuned in and watched it. And it was she was great. She she's very talented. I get that. She she's such a talented. You know, she's just adorable, isn't she? Um, <laughs> All right, uh, we've done You Heard It Here first. Uh, we've got some good ones. Let's finish up the show with Orioles-Rangers, which gets underway Saturday. Uh, we'll talk some more baseball playoffs and maybe one or two other things. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Kickoff tonight, FedEx Field, 8-15. By the way, you don't have to have Amazon Prime to watch the game tonight. The games for the local markets are televised locally, and it's on Channel 5 tonight. And Washington will be wearing their alt-black uniforms. I like those uniforms. They were 1-2 and two in those uniforms last year. They lost to the Cowboys and the Vikings, but they beat the Falcons in those uniforms. So that's what you got. And, Tommy, it's a sellout crowd tonight, which means if you don't have a ticket, you're going to have to find a place to watch the game. Why not Shelly's for the game tonight? Absolutely. I mean, that's the place you want to be. After after Washington trounces the Bears 35-16, you want a place to light up your, your uh, victory cigar. Yeah. If you want to celebrate like Red Auerbach would celebrate, you want to be at Shelly's back room. At 1331 F Street Northwest in the district, they have eight big-screen, high-definition TVs where you'll be able to view the game in their comfortable seats. They've got these big, cushiony leather seats and stuff like that. And you'll be, you know, you'll be able to smoke during the game, before the game, after the game. It's the place to celebrate a victory. Shelley's Backroom. Find out more at Shelley'sBackroom.com. Yeah, tonight would be a, a great night. Like, if you're downtown and you're looking for a place to hang out, and Tommy has said this many times in the past, you know, if you don't like those smoke-filled joints at, at cigar bars, it's not that at all at Shelley's. They have an incredible yeah. system that keeps the air completely uh, clean. So head down to Shelley's. Um, I've taken the- my wife there a, a number of times, and she does not like smoke. And she's never been bothered by the atmosphere there. She's always been impressed with how clean the air is at Shelley's. Right. Uh, all right. So the Orioles are getting the Rangers. The baseball playoffs, all four of the wild card series over in two games. Tommy, I just got to mention this. I watched a little bit of Phillies Braves last night. I watched a lot more of game one. That place is awesome. I mean, that crowd, the electricity pops through the television set. It did last year during their run to the World Series. You know, the Phillies, uh, Philadelphia fans are are awesome sports-wise, but I've heard criticism of Phillies fans in particular in Philadelphia in recent years, and they've been more bandwagon jumpers than they are for, for the Eagles. But, man, last year was incredible. This year was incredible. That Grand Slam, I mean, you can see it all over Twitter, just some of the uh, 
uh, some of the calls of it and some of the natural sound of it. It was just it, it was electric in that ballpark. They swept you know, um, the Marlins. When, when you see something like that, yeah. One of my wishes is, well, I wish I was there for it. I know. Me too. Love those those moments. Love it. Yeah. Um, your pick. Uh, one of your upset picks, the Marlins, they're out. I picked the Rays to get to the World Series. They're out. Uh, by the way, Tommy, they, 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 they're out courtesy of a couple of crowds that were record-breaking. You saw that, right? They, they, the, the, the 19, yeah. 19,000 people for a playoff game. It's a terrible spectator sports market, Tampa is. The Lightning, the hockey team, draws well. Because they've had a couple of Stanley Cups. The Bucks draw, draw uh, well the when Buc- they're good. Huh? The Buccaneers draw well when they're good. Yeah, but not not as strong as you would think for football in Florida. Right. You know, not not as not as strong as you would think they would. And uh, but baseball, Major League Baseball in Florida, ironic since they're a, a, you know that's where you have twelve or thirteen spring training teams. Right. Does very poorly. It does poorly in Miami. It does poorly in Tampa. You know, I'm not as familiar with the market in Tampa as I used to be. But uh, 20, 25 years ago, that was a fixed income market. A lot of retirees. Not a lot of corporate money there either. Oh, there is now. And technically, I mean, you got, you... they're in St. Petersburg. They're s- not in Tampa. Would you say? They're in St. Petersburg. Not in Tampa. Right. Well, I mean, St. Pete has, you know, Raymond James, uh, lots of financial, you know, major financial corporations. I know Raymond James is based there. Um, and and it's actually not a – It's I don't mind Tampa, St. Pete, actually. Um, but you're right. I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah. But you're but we used to when – the, when the Orioles trained in, in St. Pete, we used to joke – that it was the only place that you took attendance before the game and after the game. Right. Okay. It's an old, it's an old market. Now maybe it's changed, but uh, I've just never been, I've never been that enthusiastic about it. And they're talking about building a new stadium there. You know that will only seat thirty thousand, and they still have ten thousand empty seats for a playoff game. You know it was the lowest um, attendance since. 19, the the Black Sox series in Cincinnati. It was a game in Cincinnati um, where they only had 13,000 for a postseason Major League Baseball game. It's pathetic uh, for sure. Yeah, um, it really is. You know, Florida in general tends to be much more interested in college sports. I mean, you yes. know, the, the, the college football is, is a big deal. College baseball is a big deal. Uh, tell me about the yeah. Orioles and the Rangers. They get the Rangers, not the Rays. One o'clock, by the way, Saturday at Camden Yards. That place will be jumping. That'll be great. Um, I would, I would assume. I mean, the Orioles are a pretty sizable favorite in this series over Texas. You like them to win this series? Yeah, I do. I like the Orioles to win. I don't know that much about Texas, to be honest with you. Uh. But the Orioles have a lot of momentum coming. So do the Rangers, too, because they had to fight to win, win their division. Although, you know, it was like this three-team fight between a wild-card team and, and the uh, AL West, and the Mariners wound up the odd man out. Right. 
on, on that. Uh, and actually, the Astros won a division. The Rangers won a wild card. So uh, uh, I, I like the Orioles. I just think they're so talented and so stacked and, and too young to be scared yet, at least, at least for the division series. You know, maybe the championship series, it'll be different. Uh, and, that, and Camden Yard, I would expect Camden Yards to be packed and rocking on Saturday. They're doing it at 1 o'clock because there's a Billy Joel, Stevie Nicks concert right. that night yeah. next door at M&T Bank, and they share parking. Sunday's game starts at 4 o'clock. I'll, I'll be going up there for Sunday's game. Okay. Um, the Orioles are minus 140. I thought that they were a bigger favorite. At my bookie, they're minus 140 for this series. Actually, of the four series, uh, they're the they're the shortest favorite. Wow, the Dodgers are the biggest favorite over uh, over Arizona. Uh, Atlanta yeah. is a pretty sizable favorite over Philly. Houston at like minus one fifty five over Min- uh, Minnesota, and the Orioles are minus one forty. So they're actually the smallest, shortest favorite of the uh, four series. Um, I-, I wanted to finish up, unless you've got something to finish up with, but I wanted to finish up with. So the Big Ten football, first of all, Maryland's got maybe the biggest game or biggest opportunity that they've had, I don't know, since Ralph Regan's first year in 2001 when they won the ACC and they um, you know, went to the Orange Bowl that year, by the way, played Steve Spurrier and Rex Grossman in that Orange Bowl. And also, by the way, that was it for Spurrier at Florida because he took the job that offseason and came to Washington. Um, but Maryland's 5-0. and They're not ranked. They're 26th. Uh, they're, they're the first team and other teams receiving votes. And they're playing at Ohio State, who's ranked number four. I'm really actually super pumped up for Saturday at noon. I mean, I am uh, – I, I, I thought about making the trek to Columbus – to see wow. this game because there's no, you know, the skins are playing tonight and there's no game Sunday. So it's not like I'd have to hurry back. Um, but I can't because, uh, you know, my wife is actually heading out of town. So I got to be back uh, home to, to take care of the dog and everything. But anyway, um, n- enough about my personal life. Uh, I'm really <laughs> fired up for this game. I don't think they can win the game. I mean, but I think the chance of them not losing in Columbus by like fifty-six to seven or sixty-six to seventeen, which which was what it was before, and having a game more similar to the Michigan game they played last year, which was thirty-four to twenty-seven, they actually had a legitimate chance. I think there's a chance Maryland's competitive. They're coming off their best win. And Ohio State's four and zero and ranked fourth in the country, but they just haven't looked great. Uh, lucky to beat Notre Dame to a certain degree. I don't want to call it luck. They they earned it at the end. But um, I'm re- I'm really excited about Maryland Saturday to see. The, put it this way, Tommy. It's it, they're probably not going to win the game. You know, I don't want to completely discount any sort of possibility. But I'm not counting on them winning the game. Uh, but they are positioned right now to win eight or nine games this year. Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State are obviously, you know, games that are going to be very difficult because not only are all three good, Penn State and Michigan may have their best teams in a long, long time. 
But what they've done getting to 5-0 and is beat the teams they should beat. And after Ohio State, they've got Illinois and Northwestern. They'll be favored in both of those. That could put them at seven wins. They also have Nebraska and Rutgers on their schedule. I think they could win 10 games this year, including a bowl game. And Mike Loxley would then have three straight bowl games and a double-digit win season. And people will say, well, so the F what? They're not close to the playoff. I know that. But this is the last year of the Big Ten East. Starting in 2024, and the Big Ten just put this future schedule out. There aren't divisions anymore. So next year, here's Maryland's schedule next year. Iowa, Michigan State, Northwestern, Rutgers, and USC. Yeah, the Trojans are coming to College Park next year as a member of the Big Ten. And they got away games against Indiana, Minnesota, Oregon, and Penn State. Guess who's not on the schedule in uh, 2024? Ohio State or Michigan? Saturday will be the last time Maryland plays Ohio State until the year 2026. So things wow. are changing, and you know they, they. By the way, Maryland's crossover protected rivalries. They've got one. It's Rutgers. I mean, seriously. Oh boy, God. I mean, now if at some point in the next year North Carolina ends up in the Big Ten, and there are people that believe that that may happen, I would hope that North Carolina would also be a protected rival for Maryland in the Big Ten. But, you know, they don't have to do anything. Uh, But it's just wild to see the future Big Ten schedules come out today and see USC on the schedule in 2024. And then in 2025, they go to... UCLA and they have Washington at home. But next year they got Oregon on the road and USC at home as part of their schedule. It's that's the state of college sports. But um all right, anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. All right, you did a great job today. You earned your pay today. Well done. And you know why you earned your pay today. We don't have to get, <laughs> okay. we don't have to get into it, but you've been a trooper today. And I appreciate it. That's okay. I I always think, what would I want somebody to do if I was asked doing the ask? <laughs> well, I'll just tell everybody. We recorded a show this morning that did not record well um, because of an issue that we had to take care of technically, which we did. We took care of it. And now you, you can hear the show. You can hear it perfectly. And we didn't disrupt anybody's schedule in listening to the show. By the way, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow us as well on Apple and Spotify. I will be back late night tonight with a recap of Washington, Chicago. This one, it's kind of big. Kind of big. All right, Tommy, talk to you next week. See you, boss. Coach Kirk Edwards paces the sidelines in the second quarter as Redskin Dick Todd fumbles and the Bears Lee Arto scoops it up and gallops to a touchdown to put the Bears in front. A few plays later, Sammy Ball, wearing his fame number 33, takes his time, selects his receiver, and pitches 38 yards to Moore, who takes it over his shoulder, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.